Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Hazen. Coming up today, we got uh, Aaron Smith. He's uh, manager of Showplace Cinemas East, uh, Evansville's biggest theater. And he's always been my go-to to um, whenever I really want to find out what the average moviegoer really is thinking. He's always the person I go to first. He's the person that actually sees it firsthand. For example, recently during all the stuff when incels were supposedly going to go see the Joker, he was the one who was, you know, checking in with about that. Um, but first up, what did I watch this week? If you want, you could follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, it's a great service. Uh, I use it as a kind of a diary to follow uh, what I'm watching every week and share with others. Um, uh, my username is Bodamander, B-O-D-A-M-A-N-D-E-R. Um but I saw that a pretty good week. I saw three things. The first thing I saw was um, interesting, but I, being honest, not that engaging. It was Exhibition, Joanna Hogg's movie before uh, The Souvenir, her movie that's currently kind of making the uh, top ten lists. And um, if you've ever seen a Joanna Hogg movie, um, they, um, they kind of are uh, accumulation of snapshots. Um, they, um, they feel very true to life. Uh, but by that, they also are very, uh, some very frequently she dramatizes, uh, scenes of things where it, from a narrative standpoint, it feels like nothing's happening and the movies have the effect of accumulating, uh, into, uh, uh, be more the sum of their parts. Um, and I was fortunate enough to see the souvenir in a theater. This I watched at home on DVD and, um, uh, one of the great things I've always argued about the um, the need for the theatrical experience is you cannot press pause like you can with streaming or on DVD. And if you're going to watch a movie that's going to challenge you or have rhythms that challenge you, uh, that have some you know time periods where rhythmically either nothing happens or it's uncomfortable to watch it, uh, if you're at home, there's always the option of your phone or to press pause. And so I can't tell you how many times I pressed pause on this movie, which um, was unfortunate because it was a really, it was an interesting movie, a study of a couple that might or might not have been disintegrating around. Uh, they're both uh, working artists and uh, they're selling their modernist house and they both work, have a work flow in their modernist house. Um, and the other interesting thing about it is it, star it had non-actors in it, but it starred um, the lead singer of The Slits. And I think her, uh, Joanna Hogg's idea behind it was to have a um, partially sexualized woman in uh, in her 40s. And so the performance was abruptly sexualized randomly. And it, it was very interesting. Um, but very interesting. Not, I can't say 100% very engaging. But um, second movie I saw this week, I'm not going to speak too much of just because it's a wide release that a bunch of everyone else's scenes a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh the one thing i will say distinctly about it is there's a sequence in the middle that's a silent scene i won't spoil it but i think it's definitely going to go up as one of my uh, scenes of the year it's it was a very taking kind of cut to the heart scene um with a little bit of a uh, director and juju and um uh i don't want to exactly say magic realism but it's really fascinating that mario heller um I read that she got Tom Hanks onto the movie by convincing him that it was a movie about talking to men and boys about uh, their anger, which, I mean, it's 
amazing that it took the uh, you know a female filmmaker sensibilities to get to the heart of something like that because i mean like the statistics are crazy that like um like was it men commit 95 percent of all violent acts or something like that and so um this is really really taking scene and really yeah really beautiful um and i i kind of think the movie for me was better than the morgan hillville documentary uh the last thing i saw just today was really great uh it's called atlantics uh it's mati diop uh she's the only uh um black female filmmaker to be in competition at Cannes. she's a french Senegal um filmmaker and she films in, in her home home country and it is just some really great filming it's a really bold great filmmaking gives you a great sense of place uh great love story um some uh she talked i've read an interview where she talked about some of the uh, mystical elements and how they're not really mystical for, for where she's from but um and um you know you're always going to cut to the heart with me personally whenever you um shoot a movie like uh michael mann like especially the night scenes it's just someone who leans into the digital photography and the beauty of that and all the colors you get at night and that color palette it's I was, that was really, I really liked the movie. Today's guest is Aaron Smith. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he runs Showplace Cinemas East or is the main manager out there. I've known Aaron Smith a long time. Um, and um, we, to be blunt, to start out this podcast, I wanted to have people... I'm comfortable with just to kind of figure out the rhythm of everything and um, um, Aaron Smith is he was really helpful to me during college uh, it's kind of he's only a few years older than me but he always had these wise nuggets um, uh, anyone who knows me or, or sees me around him at theater knows I, I call him um, Smith or Aaron Braca Smithovich and that story comes from, I was working at North, and I was door, and this guy drove up, and it was an empty parking lot, and he drove, he parked over two spots, and I was so annoyed, and just glared at the guy as he bought his ticket, and, and, and I tore it, and glared at him as he walked by, and in between shows, I went up to Smith and said, um, you know, or, I was like, I was going to do something about it, and so... On the back of our uh, cleaning sheet, I wrote a short story, very short, short story about the inventor of the parking spot, uh, Aaron Brockasmithovich. And this would have been around the time Aaron, uh, um, Aaron Brockovich had come out, and I think someone there was a nickname around it with him already established. But I wrote about the, the inventor of the parking spot who uh, was a Polish immigrant who uh, hand-painted gravel, individual pieces of gravel and placed them at the polo grounds uh, for the 1912 World Series and was shocked whenever the early cars just threw the gravel asunder. And then I left the lesson, it's like, it, you know, gravel, the lesson of a parking spot only works if it's one car per one spot. So I handed it to Smith and it's like, I'm going to leave this on this guy's car. And Smith, you know, having to deal with these precocious, uh, scoddling little kids who have um these jobs as hobbies at best sometimes uh, to deal with it said one of his great nuggets if you feel this strongly about it you'd keep that car 
And sure enough, um, he wouldn't let me put the short story on there and nothing ever happened with the guy. But um, Aaron Smith is uh, easily one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, we, um, back when I worked in college, we you easily, um, we'd get off, uh, I'd project and he'd manage and you'd get off around 1130 sometimes. And so many nights I wouldn't leave till like four or five in the morning. We'd just shooting the shit the entire time. And he's told so many stories and yet they get to the end of this podcast and he's told a story I've never heard before, and it's kind of amazing. So check out, get through the end of the, at the very least to check this out. Um, I should apologize in advance also for the audio quality. Um, a, I, someone who works in the post end of things should know a little stuff a little better. I don't I didn't understand what I'm doing wrong yet, which I guess is the problem. Um, but uh, it's, hopefully the audio quality will be getting better gradually as the episodes go on. You and I have known each other uh, almost about 20 years now, I and mean, it's slightly over 20 years. At least, right? How old are you? 40? <laughs> Not yet. No, uh, I always have to think about how old I am. I'm 38. Um, but, um, so 12, uh, no. So I, I'm assuming we met when you were 16, right? No. Uh, what The way I track it is uh, Titanic came out in 97. <laughs> Not by terms of you being a sophomore or a junior. I can't remember. when Titanic came out. Well, no, Titanic came out. Was that, came... where, was that um, it was. a moment in time? It was. And, but anyway, no, I remember because it came out on um, Christmas or whenever around December, mm-hmm. and I got hired in January. That's odd because I have a, a kind of a similar time frame. I know that I was a sophomore. It was summer after my sophomore year in high school that I started at the theater. But that, not, uh, no, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was playing in the big screen. You've always time, yeah. you've always told me Last Crusade was playing uh, because I remember distinctly one of my, like we never were allowed to go to the, or we just didn't go to the movies, not allowed, but my parents never took us. And I remember we went to see Batman on my mom's birthday and that would have been like two or three weeks after you started at Showplace North too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a banner um, year for the cinema because uh, Titanic, Batman, and then oddly enough, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was huge. Sold out I've, show after show after show that, uh, and so was the video the, store still there? And the, when you oh, got there, I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you started out in '89 at Showplace Cinemas North. Yep. Okay. So rewinding back, um, you're from Poseyville. No, no. Um, I was born in St. Mary's. Uh, we always had an Evansville mailing address, but it's on the far west side. Okay. So I went to North Posey which is in Posey County, but I think if I were maybe three blocks the other direction, I would have went to Rides. So uh-huh. it's mostly at Evansville address. Okay, so, um, but Showplace North was where you uh, you saw movies? Not necessarily, no. M- most of the time, sure, but uh, there was um, Twin Cinema on Diamond Avenue. I don't know, I don't remember. I saw Ghostbusters there and a lot of, a lot of, big hits in the 80s that's funny go uh, uh well, i saw star wars and a lot of the and, you know my parents liked the drive-in so the um Evansville you... drive-in which is where the theater that i work at now is located uh was the, right there at the corner of burkhart and green river did you guys drive out there for that absolutely because my uh 
grandparents lived on Burkhart. Okay. So I saw Blazing Saddles there, Star Wars Jaws, uh, the Black Hole, a with, lot of things. With the the speaker in the car. Speaker on the way. Yeah, and we would bring like fried chicken. <laughs> it was it was an interesting. It's not the best way to see a movie, obviously. It's a it's a way to see a movie. <laughs> it's, it is. It's I, well Rio. I haven't been there in forever, but I remember. Um, I think I saw Twister there. And I remember, de facto, that was the first time I saw any part of The Shining. <laughs> but, um, so how often would you go to the movies then as a kid? Pretty often. I mean, it wasn't an every week thing because, um, you know, when you're a kid, you have other responsibilities as well. I mean, you had Little League and everything else that takes time when you're a child. So I know we went a lot, just not, you know, was it a whole family thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I have a little sister, too, so, you know, sometimes we'd see things like, and I guess maybe it was a re-release of The Omen, but I remember watching The Omen with my parents. That's 76, when I right? Was, yeah. No, I think that might have been, well, I'm not sure. The first, when it first came out, I'm pretty yeah. sure it was 76. But, um, and she had to have been like six or seven, maybe. <laughs> and, of course, it's a... Uh, do you remember where Small it, child. It was at the drive-in. It was at the drive-in? Yeah. Okay. Um, what, so wait, that was your... What do you think your first movie was? No, no, no. I, I honestly don't remember. It would have had to have been um, something around... The, the first One of the first movies I remember, honestly, and it's, it's very cliched, was Star Wars. Because, you know, I was born in 72. So, you know, in 77 I was five. And that's when you really start creating memories that you'll re- retain. So. Yeah. Sure. You know, I'm sure I saw something before then, Disney, some stuff like that, the kids see. I just don't remember. Okay. When did you get, uh, when did your family get a VCR, or when did you start watching movies oh, at home? Um, let's see. It was pretty early. I remember a lot of my friends didn't have a VCR, and we had one of those set-top boxes that was probably the size of uh, a small cooler. It was enormous. <laughs> Uh, and it, it had that flap up hinge that you put the tape in, and it was it was. My it was my, like, my grandma was a beta. It was, it was sided on the wrong side, and they had that like lift up thing. It just it felt like the DeLorean of VCRs. It, at the time, you didn't recognize how crazy and how just enormous this thing is until you know you see a later model or your friends get one that's normal size. And, and but I remember it was ridiculously expensive. It was fourteen hundred dollars or something, and that was in in late seventies, early eighties money. So just imagine what that would that would be like now. But you know, it's as with everything. When you're an early adapter, you spend a lot more. But I guess it was important to my parents. I don't I don't know. What did because then we weren't wealthy at all. But so it was important to spend that kind of money on a VCR at the time. What were the it was an investment? What were the movies you watched or for on it early? You know, well, interestingly. Uh, I basically just worked my way from one wall to the next at the video store. Really? like Yeah, so at the summertime, my parents would take me to the video store, sometimes there at the uh, North Park Cinema, and uh, just, you know, I'd pick out a movie, take one back, pick a new one. And, uh, you know, there there were limited choices. You know, they probably only had six, seven, eight hundred titles. So I just watched everything. Like, what were the movies? Well, you, you remember specifically, or st- that stood out? Oh, yeah, lots of things. Of, of course, you know, it's the first time you see something like The Godfather. And, of course, that that changes your life, you you know, how you look at film. But I also remember, and, and I think about this now, 
because, you know, I see my children and my son is going through this period now where, you know, he's afraid of things because he's getting into, you know, when you know you, you first consider your own mortality and you know, your parents' mortality. Your... He's eight. Okay. Uh, but he's also very smart. So, um, you know, I've, I was thinking about some of the movies that really scared me and, and made, you know, a real impression on me at, at that age and you know obviously the omen i thought yeah. that was that was an incredible film and, and i think it still holds up to some extent it's not really bloody or anything but just conceptually in the rosemary's baby um those are movies that you see when you're probably too young to see those type right. of movies but also that were very memorable well were you, know, you the experience is something i remember not just the film but i remember what I was doing, what were you how doing? I felt, well, sitting in a room watching this fourteen hundred pound VCR. <laughs> but you know, um, it's it's weird because when I think about you know these are my favorite movies, I always come back to like Apocalypse Now and um, you know, highbrow films. Okay, but it's 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 honestly things like the, and I guess maybe you could, depending upon your perspective, you could put The Exorcist or The Omen in that category but I don't normally but you know when I think about it now those are the films that really made me stay up at night like I, they would haunt me for days sometimes weeks and, and maybe we still do were you a were you a, a horror kid no no that's the thing not really and I'm still not honestly I think that's a um, that's kind of a sore spot in sometimes when I have conversations with our mutual oh. Ted yeah. because I think he and I both um we're not averse to horror films, but I think we like the unicorn horror films. You know, the films that are unique and not just, you know, tradition. So, like, films that are um, a good concept, but not necessarily a good film that spawn franchises like Saw. Nah. Or even The Purge, which I think is actually a, a good concept. It could have been great, like the Romero zombie films. Like, there's a... There's an angle they could have used for those films that they chose not to, and so they just made you know a, a more traditional and honestly, you know, a less a, a lower quality film than it could have been. And those have movies I just generally don't like. I've I've only seen the first Saw movie. I'm not gonna watch it anymore. Yeah. Um, I only watched the first Purge. I kind of. Well, it's funny because you and our mutual friend are very defense. I don't know if it's like people are coming at you a lot with horror movies that they expect you to like, or like you guys have always bring this up. And like, uh, was it animated movies also so on your yeah. uh, no, blind spot list? Definitely for him, that is. No, um, I love animated films. I think I tell him a lot of times, and it's odd to talk about him in third period. He, you know, I feel like it would be an interesting experiment to have. A conversation with the three of us, because that way he could defend himself. But I think we he, could play that. We could play that out down the line. Yeah. He um, definitely gets upset when I bring up the fact that you know he doesn't go out of his way to see the best animated films. You know, he he likes the Ghibli films and and most Pixar films, but I don't know if he really watches them or really enjoys them. I think that you know just because. You almost have to enjoy those films. Yeah. Uh, if well, especially you're a if you've film fan. Well, also if you've got kids too. Well, I, I, he doesn't, obviously. No, I, I'm saying specifically I, for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, your kids don't want to watch um, Inside Out 
five times. You know, they'll go through it and they enjoy it, but, you know, that's not one that bears repeat viewings for kids. But Frozen or something? So I saw Frozen 700 times. I saw Moana a million times. Recently, my daughter loved Greatest Showman, so I saw that a million <sighs> times. But, you know, when they were really small, <clears throat> it was always um, just garbage, you know? <sighs> And not like Sesame Street, where it's, you know, it's interesting and educational to an extent. Just literal garbage, like Care Bears. Mm. So, going back, um, first off, was it was a whole family thing, you guys? Or there wasn't, was there anybody in the family in particular like movies more than the rest of the family? Or I don't know. I would assume me, honestly. When did that start to uh, um, Probably as soon, as soon as I, I started seeing films, um... And, of course, the, the memories that I've retained have been the times at the drive-in. Of course, I do remember. But, you know, Ghostbusters, that's that's early 80s. So uh-huh. I was obviously old enough to remember those things. So seeing a movie in a cinema, I, the memories that I've retained are much later than the drive-in movies. And I think part of the reason that they're memorable, because, yes, those, those films are great. They hold up. All-time classics, sure. But... That, you know, you do go with your family. And I remember having the fried sh- sneaking in. I don't think you're supposed to. I guess maybe the drive-in, it's encouraged. You've mentioned this before, too. The fried course, chicken at the drive-in. Of course. And I, th- and I think most people, like, if if your formative experiences, if you went with uh, an older uncle or something and you snuck in candy or right. whatever, you would something remember, those. You remember like, those things. So yeah. it does add to your enjoyment of the film. Or just the movie-going experience. What were the first movies you saw without your family then? Hmm. And when when did you start going? You know, by myself, probably it would be not until I was in my late teens, because even after I got the job there, you know, you wind up going with friends. Well, I mean, also with friends, too, just without... Seeing movies that they would want to see rather than movies that I would want to see. Also, it is a... uh, a mainstream cinema, so it isn't as if, you know... It wasn't until I was probably in, uh, in college when I was working at a different theater that they were showing uh, more art films. You mean and South? Or? This was Yeah, absolutely. And that's, okay. that's in the early 90s. Uh, with that new wave of American cinema, Tarantino, Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I remember seeing Do the Right Thing Friday night that I'd opened. And, and to me, that that was... What was that like? Oh, it was terrific. Uh, I loved working there because it seemed like, and you know, this is such a, like a Gen X moment, but like cinema was changing. It was improving, uh, you know, and, and I don't know if, if that era gets the credit it deserves at some extent. I mean, I know, you know, like Pulp Fiction certainly is iconic at this point, but that's in like 94. Right. So from probably 92 to 96. Like the, the Sundance wave, like yeah, the post uh, Sex Lies thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do the right thing. Was that a wide release? So, I, I'm not even sure. I don't think it was. I think it was. Um, if, if it was, it was on limited screens, because I remember that it was kind of a big deal when we finally did get it, and it was extraordinarily popular. But me and my girlfriend huh. went on opening night here. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I guess I. I don't know. They just kind of. And of uh, course, the you know, if you've seen the movie, which I'm sure you have. Yeah. You know, it has a, a specific message that you can interpret a couple different ways or even endless ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think even Spike Lee doesn't necessarily like to get tied down. And, you know, because I know that he always gets upset when they ask him a question, did Mookie do the right thing? Mm-hmm. So when the movie's over, 
you know, I don't know how I feel about it, but I do know how my girlfriend feels about it because she's afraid. Because literally we're the only two white people in the theater. Uh, but I didn't feel afraid. I felt like we'd all had uh, an experience that everyone would remember. Like everyone in that room, I thought, you know, you're going to remember going to see this movie. You're going to remember where you were and how you felt. I don't remember if it's a legend that got told or it just kind of got blended into the movie adaptations, but supposedly Barack and Michelle Obama, one of their first dates was Do the Right Thing. I know the movie... Um, That's interesting. South Side with You, they, they end up going to he see that. He has to be older. I mean, he has to be older than me, right? Yeah. You'd think. I mean, maybe not. Well, he was he was in like uh, uh, either grad school or, uh, or his path after grad school, but... Uh, yeah. Um, so wait, rewinding back a bit, do you remember um, the first date you went on into a movie? What you saw? No, no. Do you? Well, <laughs> you know me as as much as a dater as I as white dater as I am. Like it wasn't a common thing to so. I remember going to a. I remember one specific one that like um, that was very memorable early on, but not like. You're smiling like good experience or a bad experience. Okay. No, I was. It was a mixed experience because I didn't ask the girl out, but it was it was Titanic, and it was funny because <laughs> I should have asked the girl out and I didn't, but I sat with her, and because um, it's Titanic, I bawled like a baby next to her. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, and then uh, and then a few days later, I was uh, one of your employees. Or a few true. weeks later. Yeah. Yeah, I cried too. I loved when um, that was at its peak, and we were selling out show after show, and it was in that fit five hundred and fifty screen theater. Yeah, uh, and old number nine in North. Jack just descends in the depths and and falls on the door. You could just feel these five hundred fifty people all having this similar experience at the exact same moment. And so it was. It was. It was nice to go in there just because I had seen the movie at that time yeah. several times, and I had seen that moment probably hundreds of times. I mean, it was a really popular film, but I would go in there at that moment just yeah. so I could experience it with that new group of people. I that is the thing I miss most about. And the you movie. were you had to have been sixteen, right? Crying, yeah, bawling your well, eyes. The, the mo- I I mean, there was a ton of moments I used to. Um, it's always, when you worked at a movie theater, you found amazing moments in mediocre movies a lot. But you also were there whenever the really big moment. I, the one I remember right before I left East was uh, after uh, uh, Gandalf the Grey dies in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. I just remember you'd always feel an audience dip at that point. You know, it's the same exact thing. You'd go in there so you'd see someone, you'd feel the, you'd feel the room, feel it. Is, yeah, I, I miss that most about the. That, that's, I mean, have you gauged over the years like how the consistency of those moments where like um, where an audience works and whether they've dipped or ebbed and flowed or. It's really rare, honestly. I mean, there are. I'm sure there are certain films, you know, sports films, that build to that moment that, you know, creates a, you know, I'm going to say, think of the natural, mm-hmm. when he hits the home run and knocks out the light tower. That probably affects people, particularly big groups of people, because honestly, if there's only 12 people in there, even if everybody has a giant erection at the same time, 
you're not going to notice because it's not a communal experience at that level where you would be able to probably feel that in the theater. But, you know, so something like Titanic, that was rare. And the fact that, you know, that that experience was something that I wanted to share almost as often as I could just because it's it's a rare thing. And it's not like even seeing a concert. You know, I'm sure you and I have been to a concert in the last couple of years where you wept at something when something happened that you were, or even something you were expecting. Uh-huh. You know, like Willie Nelson sings, uh, you know, Angel flying too close to the ground. You still chokes you up, even though you've seen Willie Nelson eight times. I've seen Willie Nelson eight <laughs> times, so I knew he was going to do it. And still, it just feels, you know, it's emotional. And you know, those moments are rare in a cinema. You know, individually, I have those moments yeah. where it uh, will affect me individually. But to have a group of people experiencing that at the same time, that's that's pretty rare. Okay, so you. Um... So you started to show place north, and uh, how long did, was it before you started? And you you went out to south to manage. Yeah, that was probably well right around ninety ninety one. And south was uh, um, it was still a full price, but it was the art house second run theater kind of. Yeah, I always said it was the uh, art slash ghetto theater. <laughs> so they would they would choose to put anything that uh, would, they wouldn't want to play at the main, you know. And I mean, you make whatever determination you like. I don't think there was anything, you know, reasoning behind it. It's just that the art house cinema, those, the, the, we were just, we had smaller screens, we had older equipment, so they just felt like, you know, if a movie's going to suffer from presentation, oh. we don't care if it's this art film because it's not going to sell as many tickets. And I think that there are probably lots of chains that do that because they feel like, you know, it, you know, the sound system doesn't necessarily matter on an art film because they they didn't spend all these millions of dollars for the recording and for the mixing. They just, you know... You so, know, South is where I first saw Godfather. Really? Because it was a re-release. First saw it ever? Or yeah, first saw ever. It on the... Ever. Really? I held out... There's a... You know, I have a thing where there's... There, was there, that by accident or design? No, I, I mean, even early age, I held out for certain movies I wanted to see on the big screen, and there was a Godfather re-release, so I saw that. I, I held out for God with So the intentionally, you were just thinking, at some point, this is going to be back on the big screen. See, when I... Mm, I think it was more like uh, when you... You get that point in your teens where, like, you, when you're starting to get fanatical about film, you start treating something like a checklist that you need to get down, and it just happened that it was playing so I mean I was the same with Gone with the Wind I saw it at East for the first time was when I first saw it that's great I yeah. didn't I, I never even considered that for me you know obviously I saw Godfather on VHS and I couldn't wait because there was really no alternative at the time I, I didn't think it was ever going to play on a, on you know a big screen again and really, you know, unless you live in a, a bigger city, it's still pretty rare. I mean, yeah. there was that one re-release when, um, when you, obviously, I, I watched that. It was at South the same year you well, saw it. Well, the irony for me is that I wasn't until the second or third time I saw Godfrey. I really appreciated it because the sound, I couldn't. I, I really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I like. I saw it on TV sound, and it still was an, an incredible movie. Well, there, uh, there's a certain thing where, um. I know I've had this experience where I show Godfather to another one of our mutual friends, and I like had to remind them who this character was and their relation to other people, and just I I, I vaguely right. remember be, having that kind of confusion when I first saw it. Obviously, you did not. No, not at all. And I didn't. I read the book later, 
and the I, I film the book is, too. is more confusing because of the time structure. Um, but I mean, I didn't feel like it was difficult to follow, or that it needed to um, be. Re- you know, there are certainly famous films that you have a difficult time determining the difference between characters because they have similar character traits or they, the actors look similarly, but... Well, there's also just a lot of characters in it. But, the, I mean, I also, there's a certain... Uh, I, I was this way with Casablanca. I was this way with Citizen Kane where the hype was too big that oh, I sure. kind of had this cockiness about it. And then it was like the second or third time where I was like, oh, I'm starting to really enjoy myself watching this. I think that's the case with every film. I have a... And, you know bringing back a theme that we had already sort of covered a few minutes ago with uh, Ted uh, and his inability to appreciate horror films or animated films. I have a it, it, I have a blind spot, I think, for silent films and certain black and white films. What because, kind of black and white films? You know, just... When I say black and white films, I, I realize that there's still black and white films made today. <sighs> I'm talking about like you're not going to go see the lighthouse. No, I can't wait to see the lighthouse. I'm talking about like early. You put that trailer on Hollywood everything. cinema. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I still think that uh, it's a cool trailer. I would I'd like to introduce that to a general audience. Yeah. Just to see something unique because you know it's become so bland and monotone. The things that people show up for. Well, we and should. I don't, we I don't want to complain about Marvel movies. I don't want to be right. a Scorsese, uh, although you know certainly that would be terrific in, in most <laughs> aspects. It's just, but I don't want to complain about the Marvel movies because I've liked all of them. You know, it would yeah. be silly for me to say, "Oh, that isn't cinema," because I don't agree. And I also I just enjoyed them. I do want to talk about a technique that you, as a manager, have done. Uh, we Evansville is probably like um, I want to say it's like one ninety nine or the two hundred biggest market in the country, and um, you uh, have been known to put art house trailers on um, um, as many screens as you can at Showplace East to make sure that people call so that we can maybe get these movies in. Well, I mean, you can only introduce something; people decide whether or not they want to see it after that. Um, but yeah, I, I like to do that because I don't think there's a ton of value when you have an audience show up to see, you know, a, a, a general cinema mainstream film, you know, the latest Dwayne Johnson, and I'm not picking on sure. him, I think he's great, but you know, they, the audience will come out for a Fast and the Furious movie, and if I can introduce something to them that they might not otherwise be interested in seeing... But that might play because, you know, I don't want to get in the weeds where, you know, I'm, I'm putting odd trailers on that I just know will never play Evansville. But if I know that there's going to be something that might be a breakout hit, an indie hit, and I can potentially do that, I like to do that. It's, uh, is Jojo Rabbit doing well right now? It actually started off really strong. We sold out a few shows opening weekend. Uh, but honestly, this week, because there's a premiere of Knives Out Friday and Saturday, JoJo's going to play on the big screen. So uh, if you haven't seen it, this would be the week to see it because, you know, the last few weeks it's been in one of the smaller screens. Just So the presentation is fine, the sound is fine, but to see it on the, that bigger screen, the, you know, one of the big houses, that'd be the week to do it. So, okay. Nice out's opening early? Yeah, we have two premiere shows, Friday and Saturday. Huh. It's a special, okay. So I, don't, I don't know. I think they just want to get the... Uh, 
couple extra shows in to add to their grosses for the Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know. I don't okay. Do you okay. know how the studios are? I, I, I do, and I don't know how the studios I, I mean, the big, one of the re- other reasons I wanted to have you on here is I feel like uh, you have a perspective that gets lost in the uh, media capitals where you see what the Midwest movie taste is like on a week-to-week basis. Are you, I mean, you, you, you are the boots on the ground where in, uh, the, the proof in like the, like you, you're the one that's like, yeah, Downton Abbey's really doing well for a certain set of people and it's still, it's still filling up theaters. Yeah. I, I, if, if you could, um, somehow just factor in what brings an audience out and then book things depending upon that or taking that into consideration, I think it'd be really easy. But the problem is certain audiences, they'll come out for a Christian-based film, God's Not Dead. But then they won't come out for God's Not Dead too. So, Do you have any reasoning or logic why? I think that certain audiences, especially, and, and those type of films, those audiences, they're not terribly discerning. They don't necessarily come out because the film is good, they come out because I think that it kind of underscores their own beliefs, and so they'll come out and, and you know they want to um, provide you know support for that type of thing or for that idea, but not necessarily. And you know there there are other audiences that do that as well that just show up. You know, teen audiences for the horror films they don't care if the film is any good. They just want the studios to continue to crank out these. Poorly produced, low budget horror films that you know are made for a teen audience, and then you know sometimes I think the faith based audience is similar. Not that there I haven't been some few good faith based films. That audience doesn't necessarily decide, hey, we're coming out for this because it's good or the reviews are good or because it's a you know, quality is is not important. Were you the one I've had this conversation with about that uh, when it came to faith-based stuff, it was always positive messages that um, brought people out, but it's not necessarily just because someone's making a religious movie. Like if you, I mean, this is a bad example, if you were show a Brisson movie or something like that that's highly religious, it's still, they'd be kind of uh, not really against seeing that. Were you, I guess it wasn't you I had this conversation with. No, we've probably had similar conversations many times. I don't... Uh... I don't fault that audience for their choices. I mean, obviously, audiences come back for whatever they choose. And, you know, it's it's their decision. Sometimes, um, and it, honestly, this is the case with mainstream films as well. Quality isn't necessarily the reason. And I know for mainstream films, it's mostly marketing. If yeah. they see enough marketing, they'll come out for a terrible movie. That's the reason there was a Ghostbusters, Ghost Rider, not Ghostbusters, Ghost Rider 2, the first Ghost Rider sold a lot of tickets. Everyone hated it. Everyone left the theater saying, oh, this is terrible. But because the grosses were so good for those first few opening weeks. And they got the crank people to do the sequel, too. Yeah, it's just, you know, so the Maudian art, the mainstream audience <laughs> gets tricked into seeing poor films because of marketing. And I don't know what, you know, the faith-based audiences, why they come out, like if that's something they heard from in church or you know a magazine they read i don't know but um that's a different audience and it's unique in some ways and you know you can't account for that but i also think other than disney now who 
they are, they have their marketing down pat. They can they can sell almost anything. They have the point. market pat by the yeah, point. Sure. yeah. But I don't know who else does that as well as they do, where they they market a film to the point where it's successful regardless of quality. Not hmm. that they don't put out good films, because often they do. I got a broad question for you that you may need to take a second to think about. But do you think um, right now? Uh, when you look at these audiences and the movies that are being uh, cranked out by mainstream uh, studios, um, do you think people are enjoying movies right now? You're, the audiences you see at Showplace, specifically. Me? No, 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 audiences. Like, the, the the masses of people are coming there. And I, I mean, not, not like one person liked a movie. I mean, like, generally. That's a good question. And that would be hard to say. I... I don't know. I think I still do, and I and I hope you still do. Yeah, no, I do. But I, I always, I always try to figure out who's got a best eye view on um, uh, how effective uh, Hollywood is right now, especially because you see um, uh, the numbers like YouTube and video games are starting to surpass movies as uh, um, entertainment people go to, at least their money it's making. So. And, you know, um, friends of ours who are watching peak TV right now and versus people that don't watch peak TV or don't understand that's like for, for a sophistication level, TV is doing much better than movies are right now. So, I mean, that's, well, there's, I'm asking the general I think a couple reaction. of different ways that I'd like to come at that. And the first one is, you know, yeah, audiences still enjoy the film-going experience, they still enjoy movies, but it's almost as if it's it's only specific types of films, and obviously right now superhero films are pretty much it. That's the one. Star Wars, obviously. You know, Frozen certainly has an audience, So, you know, but those things, you know, that's they have a, a serious uh, line of credibility. They're always going to sell, in, in, at least as far as other than solo standalone film right. those movies have always performed well and audiences have always had a good time at those films and I think you could say that about you know the the high quality kids films as well whether it's Frozen or Tangled you know you could go back to the second wave of great Disney films Lion King and Beauty and the Beast Little Mermaid of course those those films work well with, with a, a great audience I just don't know you know, it's rare anymore that you get something like Titanic. And I mean, Avatar is the odd, weird cousin to Titanic because, you know, it, it isn't as, as effective. You don't leave there feeling... Well, it, it made such point. big money and then no one remembered it two years later. Or it, really has fond memories of it. Yeah. Even if they do remember, like, oh, I went to that movie and it was Dances with Wolves, which is with a better film. people, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm specifically asking your personal experience with uh, seeing audiences firsthand because, I mean, I think a lot of people will tend to, like, bring in box office numbers or Twitter reactions, which seem to be kind of um, uh, false indicators on a, in a lot of, to, to a certain extent. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm guilty of that as well. I'm interested in box office numbers. I'm interested in critical opinions even um, though you're firsthand with how much a, a, a specific theater is actually making and yeah. how, what that means for a movie actually staying in an extra week in town sure but you know i i never really wanted it to be as cutthroat as that i never want to if 
if someone says, you know, what is, what is a good film that's playing right now? I will never say, oh, this is something that, you know, is really popular. Or this is something that's selling a lot of tickets, unless I think specifically that's what that person wants to know. I will say what Are I there is there someone that wants to know that? Honestly, lots of people, you know, that don't come to the movies often or that they only come four or five times a year, they want to see something that's popular because that's an opportunity for them to enjoy something that they can or even just see something that they can have a conversation about, whether at their work or or with their grandmother. Hey, we went and saw Ford versus Ferrari and, and I think that's one of those films that you know, works with a lot of different audiences and that you can talk to your uncle about that at Thanksgiving. So, all right, um, you were at South in the early 90s uh, and then you went back to North. That's when we met. Then you went to East. Was I? You were back and forth in a bunch of different places at the sure. time. Sure. When did, what year did you I start? was been uh, 98, January 98. Yeah, and I don't think I was there long the second time. I've been at the East location for, I don't know, 10, 12 some odd years. A long time. Well, you know, I remember because I followed you out for East and then I was only there for like about a year and a half, but we overlapped for that point. So where did you go from there? Well, that's when I left town and then came back. And when I came back, I went to North for the remainder until I finally moved to uh, Texas for a while. When you left the first time, where did you go? Louisville. I don't remember that. Yeah, I lived in Louisville for about uh, six months. Who? Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Now you remember that. Yeah. Now you remember yeah. that. Well, I didn't, I don't think, um, I didn't live there long enough that I went over there to it's see a, it's it. A but I also to... didn't go to Texas either, even though I really wanted to. Yeah. We planned on me coming down for Southwest three or four different years in a row, I think. Or at least really? it seemed like that. I, I we talked about this. it, uh, I, I know at least twice where I was seriously looking at, you know, it's like, well, I could drive or I could get a cheap plane flight. So, I mean, obviously that's, and I, I don't know if it has the the cachet that it did at the time. Obviously, it, you, you, when's the last time you've been? South by? Yeah. I didn't pay last year, but I went... Um, I was working last year, and I I had to work through it. But year before that, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I haven't been. I haven't been experienced. I have not been to South by Music in years. I've only been doing South by Film for the last few years. But still, it's a. uh, It's kind of like a Mardi Gras for people enjoy that. I Mardi Gras is actually a good description, just because I remember um, my first time, one of my first years experience. I think I I told, maybe it's you, but I told a bunch of people that like, uh, it's like fall festival with hipsters. That sounds awful. It's no, it's just because how crowded the street is. Oh, like, sure, sure. Which I mean, it has that kind of uh, Beale Street or um, in Memphis or Mardi Gras, like. Um, um, but uh, so um, you've but you've been a show play or East since probably like two thousand one. You think it tends to run together, but I'd say probably that long. Sure. Okay, I guess. Um, uh, one of the notable things, speaking of going to Austin back here, um, I wonder if you can confirm, well, actually, I guess you can't confirm it, but um, I I miss most about Austin right now is how enthusiastic theater crowds are going. Like, one of the things I've noticed coming back here, every movie theater, I have to tell someone to shut up or get off their phone, every movie, without fail. That's interesting. That's not my experience. And uh, obviously, I see, um, because my children, I see a lot of kids' shows, I don't really have... 
bad experiences that often. I don't have a situation where somebody brought a kid that screams or yells or runs up and down or throws candy at me. It really doesn't happen. And you're seeing films, not just mainstream films, obviously, although I think certainly you do see plenty of those. Right. But that you, you kind of have an independent you know, slant. You're going to see... Well, no, no. I mean, it was specific, I mean, the one specifically that weirded me out was it chapter two, where it was like oh. it was a it was a crowded theater. It's a great it's a way to see it, um, but I had to remind myself that um, back in Austin, you wanted to see things on Friday and Saturday night when the theater's crowded. You wanted people around just because you wanted the communal feeling, and now it feels like I'm wanting to avoid it. I wonder if, and and honestly, I I can't speak to that with any level of clarity, whether or not that has to do with the market. You know, Evansville is a smaller market, and, and so it's almost going to be exclusively mainstream films unless you really seek them out. So well, it's not, it's not the, the audiences can talk. They, they can, because it's, you know, most of these films, Shane, and even though It Chapter 2 isn't the best example, a lot of these films, you, they don't require your full attention. You can go to the bathroom, you can get a refill, you can check your text, and you can really just keep the thread. That's, that's a fair point, I guess. So, but... a lot of these people don't feel as if they need to give it their full attention. Even Marvel films, honestly, I mean, you don't, you could miss any five-section chunk of any of those films, still keep up with it. You them. don't have to treat it like Cinematic Church. No. And, you know, that's, that's the way I prefer to watch a film, but yeah. honestly, you know, I, I had good experiences for both it chapter one and chapter two I, I but i don't know if there's a ton of subtext there that required my full attention if someone was texting next to me i don't know if it would bother me that much or if i would try to read their text well one thing i do want to do, do that i think if i did be a point of being like dude you're texting in a theater I, i'm making a point of why i yeah I've told you that story about what I saw, and and um, it's not that Austin was perfect because it was, it was always like I I almost exclusively saw stuff at the draft house, and whenever I had to go outside the draft house, someone would be on their phone. Like I've told you that story when um, uh, big character dies in Last Jedi, uh, um, there was a dude that was on his texting right next to me, and but one thing I so one thing I want to ask you um, about that's very unique about how you watch movies is um, unless you. Uh, tech a movie or QC a movie uh, you, um, maybe we should explain exactly the process of how digital movies come in they come in in a hard drive you inge- well, they, now they just come they, in satellite oh they beam yeah. them in mm-hmm. okay so they beam into a central server that you have and then you put them into uh, hard drives at each individual theater that you want to show it to no it's just a file transfers Just we, it's cat5 wire so I've got 20 screens I've got one central library, uh, and you know it comes in from satellite. It's just a digital file. You put the trailer playlist on it, all the cues and everything. You send it out to each individual screen. So um, how many uh, how many movies can fit on an individual screen? Uh, I mean, they're terabyte hard drives, and usually it has a three or four, depending upon the type of server and the company that made it. So. I've got some screens that I can put probably 10 or 12 films on. Some of the smaller houses I'll only hold two or three, especially now that the files are enormous. You know, when we first started using digital film, digital film, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> the oxymoron. Yeah. So since it went to digital, uh, most of the files, full feature files, you know, a two-hour feature, 
uh, an original 2K resolution were, you know, 150 gigs. They were small. And now, you know, some of these features, I'm sure when Irishman comes in, that'll be 350, 400 gigs. So, you know, it just takes up a lot of space. And um, once 4K is the industry standard, that number will probably just keep going up. So when you get the files, you can put the you put the files on the projector, and you can in theory watch them as long as what you have you have the keys available that activates that allows you. And the keys there's a time, uh, there's a clock on each the server, and it allows you to watch within the w certain window that the keys open in. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so it's an encrypted file that you open with a key, uh, just a digital key, and uh, usually they'll expire within a week or two of the ending of your booking. So if you hold over a booking, like a film plays longer than the studio originally expected it should, you get a hover key, a holdover key, and those a lot of times will last longer. But I think your your question is, or what you're trying to get to is, you know, the way that I watch films piecemeal. Yes, you, you have a non-linear way of watching movies. So movies will come in... Um, Tuesday or Wednesday before a Friday showing, right? They'll be, be beamed in, and then the keys start up uh, usually like Wednesday night because Tissues now show movies. Uh, Thursday night is pretty much the soft opening. Uh, it, they say it's open on Friday, but it'll open the Thursday before for the night showings. And, um, and if you don't QC the movie, which you are pretty busy and you're there late at night usually, um, you have to watch the movie in pieces, like uh, uh, I don't know, like a '50s audience goer who just like comes in halfway through a movie or something. Yeah, well, I, I, that works very well, honestly, with most films, and that's an indictment of uh, mainstream cinema, honestly, because <laughs> it shouldn't work. You know, part of the beauty of seeing a great film and uh, your enjoyment of it is that you know you're, and clearly this is. A, partially to do with, or at least uh, similar to the idea of the, the concept of your podcast. You know, you're experiencing light flickering on a wall. You know, I need to be enveloped in that. I need to be in the, uh, the idea that I'm seeing these things unfold rather than just speakers and a projector and light flickering well, on a wall. Whereas if, you know, when you watch something out of sequence, so... What I'll do is I'll watch 15 minutes at a time, usually, sometimes a little longer, sometimes more. But That was my next question. You know, I'll try and watch it by scenes. So, you know, when I see a cut or a, a part that I feel like, well, I can walk away from this and pick this back up because I know where this edit is. Um, and then I'll come back and watch that next sequence when I get an opportunity. So sometimes I'll watch a film, for instance... Uh, you know, like Hobbs and Shaw, which I did not enjoy. I like the cast. I actually had a good time with Hobbs and Shaw. Well, the cast is great. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's just it Jason Statham and fun. Rock bickering, but yeah. It should be more fun than it is. Uh, it's just fucking dumb. <laughs> it's fucking dumb. And then the the. But hey, hey, family, funny. family. Well, fair enough. My kids did not see that movie, nor do they want to see that movie. And I think no, no, no. I'm saying your family. I'm saying Fast and the Furious family, man. It's all about family. Oh, see. <laughs> of course well I you know I'm not shitting on those movies I, I think that they're entertaining to a certain extent and I like I've said it to a certain extent a lot you should cut out several of those I uh, anyway that was the first time I heard it so oh I, I think I well you know anytime you're having a conversation you're like an like, actor is like how do I hold my where, how do I hold my hands I right my, now I missed my mark <laughs> where uh, that's funny 
Uh, no, you. you and Shaw, you were saying oh, that they, well, sure. it's not a good, it's no, not a good movie, but they, it's every, you know, every sequence where the actors are interacting with each other, whether it's the Kevin Hart or Ryan Reynolds cameos, and then of course the two leads, they're great. They're just fun. They're having a good time. They're 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 enjoyable actors, and I think Dwayne Johnson doesn't get the credit he deserves because. He's a much better actor. Hey, if money's credit, he gets the credit. Well, sure. But, you know, when you consider how poor an actor somebody like Jean-Claude Van Damme or Schwarzenegger or even Stallone maybe is, is not, that's not fair because I think he's actually pretty solid. Yeah. Can be. Can be. Uh, it's a good but distinction. A, you know, most action film heroes are terrible actors, or at least from my generation, and he's actually pretty good. He's nuanced. He's he's solid. I mean, he's in Moana. He can he can fucking sing a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but the, but all the action sequences were so fucking dumb. Like it was difficult to watch those sequences because I would want to get back in, you know. So I watch sequence and I want to get back into it because. <laughs> but you'd it walk was fun, out. But then you know you get to that edit and then when you pick it back up again, it was one of these big action sequences that were so blatantly ridiculous that I just felt like I couldn't, I didn't want to, like I almost wanted to skip those parts. Like I, if my version of that movie would be condensed and it would be about 45 minutes long and it would be a fucking blast. <laughs> well, let me ask you, um, and it wouldn't have any action whatsoever. It would, just, it would just be the rock bickering yeah. with Jason Statham yeah. and, and Kevin Hart just pops up. Um, and Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, have you finished, uh, uh, have you seen our sequence all Jojo Rabbit yet? Oh yeah. Yeah. So how do you react to, I don't want to go too deep into spoilers. I did watch it out of sequence, by the way. I didn't watch it in a linear. I know specifically for me, there was a moment about two thirds of the way through, which traditionally you're in the second act thing or something, but there's one specific moment. How did that, how would that moment have appealed or how would you have seen that moment? Would you have jumped in, saw it and it's like, oh, this happens and then recontextualize everything you saw before then? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, when you have a something like that and, you know, it doesn't always work uh on and there have been a lot of movies where I felt like, oh, I I missed something by not watching that in the traditional way. And but but when there's a surprise or something that's interesting or changes your mind about something that's already happened in the film. And you also got to remember I might not actually see the opening sequence until I've seen the entire rest of the movie. So, yeah, I do. I think it's, you know, it's it's like the way it was Bukowski who would just chop up sections and then throw it in a hat, and that's how it would... Uh, no, no, Burroughs. Burroughs, Burroughs, Burroughs. So, uh, that's kind of how I'm doing with the film. And so I'm reassembling it, at, you know, every new sequence I see. Was there any specific movie that you've... Uh you thought kind of, if not improved, or at least made a unique way of watching that movie? Well, you know, the one that I thought was extraordinarily effective, because I watched Inside Lewin Davis, front to back, just like you would traditionally. Uh-huh. I did, did you watch it first? Yeah, that's, you know, I think actually I, I saw that uh, as a QC. I premiered it, so I watched it before it played for a general audience. So I watched the movie, and of course, I'm, you know, as with everyone who sincerely enjoys cinema, I'm a big fan. I think they make a lot of great films. In fact, I've loved all yeah. of them. I've loved all their movies. Uh, 
So I didn't really, I didn't really like it either that or I didn't get it. Uh, so I just felt like the Oscar Isaac character, he's a, an asshole. Uh, I didn't, I just didn't enjoy the film. Uh, not, not in a bad way. It just, you know, when I say I didn't enjoy it, I didn't enjoy it the way I expected because okay. at that point, you know, you expect something extraordinary. Um, especially since, you know, some of their highlights, obviously, uh, No Country for Old Man, Old Brother, they're extraordinarily entertaining and they, uh, you know, they have everything you expect from great cinema. Uh, and Inside Lewin Davis actually has those things, but it required me to go back and watch some of these sequences. Five, six, seven. I just burped. That picked that up. I'll probably pick it up. Awesome. I burped. Five, six, seven times where it would, you know, maybe the fourth or the fifth time it would finally click. And so when I finally got an opportunity years later, I got the Blu ray and then I watched it again. I realized, you know, the movie was great the first time. It was me that didn't get it, and it almost took me watching those. Because, well, it, what's the difference between watching it out of order and just repeat viewings? Um, you know, I couldn't say specifically because you know most of the time I'm only doing it out of order. When I do watch a movie and repeat viewings, a lot of times it's at home, which sometimes is even though it isn't out of sequence, it's very disjointed because I'll pause it. Like, I've started Dolomite four times now. The the Netflix movie, movie. Dolomite. It's great, uh, but I'm at home. So, you know, uh, I was like, well, I'm going to get up and pee. And then the next thing you know, I'm checking my email, bidding on something on eBay, uh, reading a magazine. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm halfway through this movie again. <laughs> so I'm very easily distracted. Anymore. Watch movie at home. I, there's a certain aspect to the theater going where uh, I I go right now to specific movies, uh, specifically uh, Netflix ones that you can see at home, just because I don't have the pause option on it. Like if mm. I pause, I lose the momentum of the movie. Like, sure. Yeah, which is why I'm interested, excited about we're we're gonna go through all the three and a half hours of the Irishman coming up here soon. Yeah, I'm excited. That should be. Um... One that I feel like I'm going to watch originally in sequence. I want to, you know, watch the whole film. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, I think, you know, just comparing apples to apples. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street worked like that for me, where I watched the movie, and I actually loved that the first time through. It's a pretty entertaining, engaging movie for the first Absolutely. time through. Uh, but then, you know, you would watch some sections again, and it's, not only is it entertaining, but it's really hilarious. Um... Uh, and and some of the some of the things you notice the first time through about you know the acting choices really stand out as like why why are they doing that specifically the Jonah Hill character uh, when you when you you watch that thing and you just kind of focus on sections that he's in or and choices that he's making sometimes I it was exceptionally entertaining to watch those things two and three times through and I would laugh at something the third time through that I didn't necessarily think was funny the first time through. Interesting. So, um, I guess, uh, where do you see, um, do you see any trends in audience, uh, uh, view, just how they take in movies going, uh, or is it just same old, every generation is the same. You know, there's that George Lucas thing where he says that the ratio of good movies to bad movies actually has never really significantly changed since the 30s? I think that's probably fair. You know, with their, 
was a while, and I actually wonder now, even though you have um, different markets, where that number, although you know, has gone up, the averages are probably the same. Great films, good films, poor films, complete garbage films. You know, you could probably split those right down in quarters. Well, with uh, digital, based on us being a small, Evansville being a small market, do you still see we get a lot more independent releases than we would have gotten just because of the cost that we would make a print and ship that? really. It's still Evansville. And, I mean, you have to consider that the exhibition is a business, so it doesn't do anyone any good to have a, a screen that you're showing a movie on that literally no one's coming to. So sure. So zero tickets, it doesn't really matter. If you bring in something like Parasite or Lighthouse right now that might have a marginal audience. Parasite, we've had this conversation, Parasite wouldn't have a marginal audience. That would have a potentially significant one. You'd think that. And, and you know, I think our mutual friend Ted uh, always makes... The, the ghost of Ted who's not at this table. He is the specter of Ted. But the, he, he will uh, often say, you know, we, we've conditioned audiences to not come out to these films I don't know if that's true I actually disagree I think that Evansville audiences don't come out to the films and that's why they don't play because the exhibitor doesn't give a shit about anything other than the fact you know if 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 you make a film called Fire and customers come out and buy tickets for that or you make a film called Ice and customers come out and buy tickets for that you don't really care what the content each either of those is and one could be completely opposed to your so like if we're a family establishment if this is a r-rated hard r-rated film that's nothing but filth and drug use like train spotting which i love uh you want to show that because audiences are paying to see that or if you're playing a faith-based film you know audiences are paying to see that you don't really want to have you know a political opinion about any of this so for, for well, famously the, i remember um showplace uh, avoided fahrenheit 9-11 when it came out and but, the first week but then but, after it yes. was number one at the box office they got it the second weekend it sold a lot of tickets so it was doing well nationally and so they decided to bring it in it's it's a business and if if the evansville market would make it viable you know, if people would come out for these films, they would show the films. You know, it's just that they just don't. They don't support anything. And they're basing this off the platform strategy for other markets, too, and whatnot, and what what the per uh, theater gross is there's giving a lot and stuff of, like there's that. There's a lot of factors, but, you know, if something does well in Louisville, something does well in Indianapolis, there's a decent chance that it will translate to Evansville only because something like word of mouth would be positive as well. So it's like, oh, well, my aunt saw Parasite in Louisville. So, uh, and she said, hey, that movie's fucked up. I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. I was going to say your aunt would tell you it's fucked no, up. No, no, I'm not. This is an example. <laughs> she might. I don't know. It seems unlikely. <laughs> seems unlikely she would see Parasite or that your aunt would see Parasite. My aunt will not see Parasite. That's what, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. let's just say word of mouth is possible. Okay, not necessarily your aunt, but your, your friend, the guy you went to high school with. Uh, he lives some well I have a friend that lives in Denver and so obviously he could any night of the week he could see an amazing show 
he could see an art installation. He could see a, a film that's not playing in a, in a smaller market. You know, when he has a lot of entertainment choices that we don't. So he tells me, hey, I went to go see Parasite. That movie was fucked up. I think you'd really enjoy it. That's the type of movie that eventually will play well in Evansville. It does require some trickle... Oh, I hate that. It does require some... Uh, publicity that isn't generated the for actual, marketing. The actual word of mouth. Studios won't pay for it. They can't afford it. You know, if a movie costs $12 million to make, they can't spend $50 million of, mar of Disney marketing money to make that a hit, to make that a success. So it requires the film to be good and to turn on an audience for that to work in a smaller market. Hmm. So going back to um, what we were talking about with Titanic... Um, do you have any other uh, member what audience reaction moments or movies have gotten big audience over the years at Chippewa's well, Interesting. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this, not necessarily just because I know we were going to have a conversation and it certainly was probably going to center around movies. Um, because my son is going through this period where he's afraid of ghosts. And I don't think it's from movies he's seen because he doesn't watch, you know. I, scary films. I, but I thought you were showing him The Purge. No. Okay. But, you know, the the movies that... And, and these aren't necessarily great films, but Blair Witch Project and the first Paranormal Activity and The Ring, those movies were always great to, you know, to experience with an audience because it was the first time, and, and for whatever reason, those films did something differently than previous films, particularly Paranormal Activity. I loved being in that... Because it was, you know, I had it timed down to the second. I needed to be in there four minutes and 38 seconds before the movie was over because that's that moment at the end on the, um, well, you know, you've seen the film. And, and, you know, because I don't remember if I've seen the first one. I, I, I was still working in a theater when it came out, but I don't know if I saw it. There's five with diminished returns. I mean, once you've done that, it doesn't work again. So the second paranormal and the third and the fourth and the fifth is basically just variations on a theme. And you've already heard the joke. You know, it's not going to work for you again. But that was so effective initially. I um, guess um, I wanted to kind of... Uh, um, my final big question is a broad, open question. Um, What's the funny the, the time you've laughed the hardest? No, it's... Uh, although, what, sure, why no, not? I, that's that Pete Holmes thing. I don't know what the Pete Holmes thing You don't is. listen to the Pete Holmes podcast? I have. I don't remember. I do actually remember that in there. Those no. are always great stories because, and in fact, you should kind of consider the format of your uh, podcast because if you're going to say, you know, I'm going to have friends and acquaintances over and we're going to talk about film because, you know, as a... Are you asking me if I thought this through? <laughs> well... <laughs> Yes, no, I, I, but, and I'm not offering Are you not having critique. a good time? I'm, I'm offering insight. No, and in fact, that's why when I said, and I mean, I'm, I still think we should do this, it should just be a whole network. So you can have your, your shingle. Shane talks movies and occasionally has, you know, whatever, however you want to Nothing said in stone yet. It well, could of be... course it isn't. That's the beauty of the format. But uh, you know you you should have some some sort of angle. So if you're going to if you if you need to define this or contain it in you know a cinematic universe, is it cinema, if it's a cinematic universe, is it really cinema? I didn't want to do 
<laughs> I didn't want to do that. My final question was: it was a broad open ended. Tell me uh, um, the, mo- the mess up movie theater stories. Just um, like I, I remember my one of my big ones was when I was working concession once, and uh, this mom was ignoring this little girl who just kept tugging at uh, her dress, and and the mom was just just powering through to ignoring it until finally a puddle appeared underneath the little girl and I had to clean up the urine. But I mean, stuff like our, um, uh, the time we were showing it, um, we were doubled up in theater nine in North. They had Waterboy and Rugrats and we found a 40 after Waterboy, but we, Rugrats was over the thing. So we assumed someone had brought a 40 to Rugrats. Oh, sure. That happens all the time. Honestly, we, uh, now that we have a bar, uh, I have people come in sometimes. Uh, this is not my experience because I usually don't work in the daytime any longer. But we have customers that come in at like 11. Like, hey, can I get something to drink? And, of course, we don't have a bartender at the time. So people want to come in, watch the early show of, you know, say, for instance, uh, right now it might be Playing With Fire, that John Cena family film. <laughs> Uh, and they're like, well, I really need two beers to sit through this with my children. So that's something that wouldn't surprise me. You know, somebody could bring their kids to see Rugrats and say, you know, to sit through this movie, I'm going to require this pint of hot damn or whatever. Sure. And, I mean, there's been a few movies I've seen lately where I've had to... Uh, um, it, well, get... for you, you don't have to. It accentuates it. No, there was... Um, I don't want to crap on the movie but i knew one movie that was like i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna have a good time here i just go in this just because the possibility is a good one and i had a drink and it was a nice way of getting through the movie and having a drink especially for um a comedy i think is useful don't you sure yeah i mean um yeah have a beer with uh um that's one definitely one i'll take that mess about the alamo but um you can have a beer almost any movie now. Yeah. Standards. How long ago was that change? The, 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 the... About two years ago, I think. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, AMC did it uh, around the same time or a year before then. I mean, at some point, who cares? Honestly. No, I mean, it's just... We're a... going to sneak in alcohol anyway, so why not just... No, it's, it. it's good. I mean, the whole thing was just uh, and liquor I, licenses and things like that. Yeah, right? but, you know, we are in Indiana. I don't know how it works in, you know, normal states. But in Indiana, there was a lot of pushback against that because, you know, obviously, I think Indiana was the last or nearly last state to allow Sunday alcohol sales. For whatever reason, you know... I kind of forgot that we actually have Sunday alcohol sales here. Oh, yeah, and it it affected no one. And to be honest, I've never bought alcohol on a Sunday. It never really occurs to me, like, I'm going to have to stock up for football because today's Saturday, and so no one ever really did that. I think it's a false narrative, and I know from experience from working at the cinema, originally, you know, people were like, I don't want a drunk guy in there watching this movie with my kids. It's like, you're drunk already. That was seriously what was said? Yeah, you had three glasses of wine. That you was know, really something. something. I, you know, yes. Initially, when it was announced we were going to have a bar in the theater and you could take alcohol from the bar into any of the cinemas, that some people said, well, I, I'm not coming back. I'm not bringing my children. But I've never, not one time, had to kick someone out of a movie theater that was being loud and obnoxious because they were drunk. Never? Yes, of course. But not that we sold alcohol to them no 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 i was i was just asking because they were drinking from our bar 
Like people that'll sit in the bar and get obnoxious. I've had to kick several people out of the bar. But most of the time what happens is most normal people, they'll get two beers, double fist them into the cinema, and just watch the movie. They're not there to get drunk. And plus it's expensive. Yeah. Get drunk at our place, you'd have to spend forty, fifty dollars. So not everyone can on top of the popcorn and the candy and just the admission, you know, not everybody has that kind of money. So a couple of drinks is really all most people can afford. Well, let's narrow it down. But what? we do that for a reason, too. You don't want to make, you don't want to have $2 beer night at the cinema because then it will just be brawls in all of these, you know, it chapter two instead of a guy texting and be you and him fighting. <sighs> no, I probably, even still a few beers, I'd still be like just silently resenting him. Um, I guess to narrow it down, what's your best kicking someone out stories? Oh, well, you know, the one I'm most embarrassed by, um, I kicked out these two people that were, uh, they were drunk and obnoxious, and uh, they started talking and insulting me on the way out, and so I kind of fell into that pattern. I talked back, and I said a few rude things, and then later I thought, you know, I've, I've stooped to that level. They were drunk, and I was sober. And I let them upset me. You don't want to repeat what it was said. Oh, it was awful. But then I found out later that one of those two people, um, he was developmentally challenged. And so, you know, I really went out of my way to say something rude to somebody that maybe was probably didn't drink that often and maybe didn't know how to handle it and then said something to me, not knowing me, just because, you know, they... They they hadn't taken their alcohol correctly, and so they it 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 hit them differently, and so I felt like it was embarrassing for me. But one of my one of my favorite cinema stories, and of course I have tons of stories about cleaning up something disgusting, uh, or finding a short case of beer and a full pizza. Everybody has those stories. A uh, soiled diaper. Uh, soiled diaper. I think adult I've heard. diaper. Not just oh, oh I I have no I have never seen no, adult, mostly, adult diaper. You know, the thing is with with kids. Or with parents, when they change a diaper and leave it in the cinema, they'll fold it up nicely. So it's just a little pill, a little package here. Like, oh, a diaper. You pick it up and throw it away. With you don't use a dustpan? Nah, you know, I'm a father. I clean so, I change so many diapers. Your your perspective on that changes at some point where you, it doesn't affect you at all. Wiping somebody else's ass. Something I think when you're, I don't know what you're into. That's your thing. <laughs> But for me, it's like, you know, I did that so many times now. It's, it's not even really, it's not second nature necessarily, but it's not something that I think is like, oh, that's disgusting. But the adult diaper, they're not as They uh, don't, they just polite shit about themselves it. and just leave it. Like, they don't fold it over, so they'll be fucking flies. It's <laughs> disgusting. Adults are disgusting. Um, some of them, this has happened several times, uh, you go in the men's room. Uh, you're just like, hey, there's a problem in here. Something doesn't smell right. And someone will have shit themselves uh, and just left their clothing, like underwear, shorts, the whole thing in the in the men's room. Like they so went out with a trench coat? I have no idea how they left they the building. They just like went pooed on the way this out? Is, this, this is the summertime. They were obviously wearing shorts. Did they run out naked? I don't know. I, this has happened more than once. And I don't know also what they're eating. The cause them they they couldn't sit through a two-hour movie without shitting themselves. I don't know, but that's happened a lot. But my this is honestly my favorite story, and it has nothing to do with seeing a movie or anything like that. 
um, I had been working at the cinema for a long time. It was probably, I was in college, so I was in my early 20s, 2021. And I was working projectors, which, as you know, is the best job ever. Because you start the movie, you make sure the presentation's good, and then you can do whatever you want. You can watch the movie if you want, but what I did, I read a lot. Not I like read you a did lot too. too yeah. I read more books in the four or five years that I was projectionist than I have in my entire life. I loved being a projectionist. The point in my life where I was able to read a book a day was when I was a projectionist. Such a beautiful time. Yeah. The best job. Obviously, you didn't earn a lot of money, but it didn't really matter. I almost felt like we should be paying them. It was a great time. I like movies, obviously. That's so. That's obviously a, a factor. But I really enjoyed that. But so, I'm. Upstairs, it's a Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon, so that's contextually important. Um, all the movies have started. Um, I'm sitting, just reading a book in the projection booth. And of course, at the time, the um, stock for the concession stand was upstairs. Is this uh, at South? No, it's at, at East. The stock for the concession stand is upstairs, and so the concession kids have to come up there to get the cups and the bags and the whatever else they have to get. Uh, so I'm sitting there, and uh, a couple of girls come up. I didn't know them. I knew most of the employees, but because I was a projectionist, I didn't really have to know them. Right, I remember you know, that. I, as long as I show up and do my own work, no one really cares what you did, you know. This would have been pre-uniform, right? Yeah, absolutely. David Walsh, and you know, I'm name-checking David Walsh, but he was the reason that we got uniforms, because he would wear that same dirty white t-shirt with cigarette burns on it for weeks at a time, and they were like, we just, this is not going to work. I remember there was a period I got blamed for it, too. I don't know, it may have been you. No, it wasn't know. me. It was not me. It might have been David, I'm sorry for outing you, but uh, I think he was the, the reason they eventually, but I actually just, you know, I'd wear a rock and roll t-shirt and some shorts that's just, you know, standard projectionist attire right uh so a couple of girls come up they're giggling blah 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 i was probably 20 and of course concession girls 16 17 18 um so they go downstairs with their stock about five minutes later one of the girls comes back up i didn't know her name didn't know who she was uh and i'm just sitting in a chair reading and she was actually very pretty came over and just kissed me on the mouth just just uh, just like a, a cinematic moment happening at the theater. Uh, and she smelled like cinnamon whiskey or something Sunday afternoon. Uh, and I never saw or spoke to her ever again. She, I think that was her training shift. She never came back. And, uh, and to me, it's a, it was a beautiful moment. Because do you, wait, it did, did she? Do you think she had a shot of whiskey to do it? Oh, she was drunk. <laughs> she was drunk. Uh, and it was Sunday afternoon, so, but you know, that with, with children, because basically, you know, children work at the cinema. Yeah. You give people a chance, and, and some people are, are, you know, fit for the job, and some people aren't. And obviously, she was just the type of girl that didn't want a, a job. Probably her mom made her get a job. And so, she either stayed up late on Saturday drinking, or showed up early on Sunday and had a few drinks before work, but... Really made a, a just a, a pretty really strong nice impression on you. Impression, a memory that I'll never, never forget. It was, a, it was a, and the fact that I don't even know who that was, and I know for a fact that 
they didn't put her on the schedule anymore because she showed up to work drunk. I don't know who that was. It, it was almost um, too cinematic for words. I mean, it was really an impressionable moment. And I, I, uh, that was one of my best days at work. I think, I can't think of a better note to go out on. Aaron Smith, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me.